0: Now that is cute. Even if I have to say so myself, I think they're absolutely adorable. 14 minutes after 2 o'clock. Now I'm going to go into a feature that we call her story. And today we want to just pay homage to a woman who has gifted us with literature that unfortunately I think many have not encountered. Nonu Jabavu is the person that we're going to be paying tribute to. And I'm joined by somebody who has studied her work uh, a lot, somebody who's herself an, an Anthologist, I knew I was going to stumble. Anthologist, somebody who's written prolifically herself, uh, a lot of poetry and so on, and lectures at Vits and so on. Sazana Taba is my guest, and uh, what a life that uh, Noni uh, lived. And and I, I mean, I'm still quite shocked at how little South Africans know about Noni. Thank you very much for joining us,
1: Makosazana. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Hi, Tamelo. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And hi to your listeners.
0: And and as as I was saying, you know, I'm I'm so surprised at how little we know of her, how unlike Charles Dickens and so on, she's not easily accessible to young people. We're not studying her as young people at schools and so on. Am I wrong to be surprised? Am I wrong to be
1: surprised? (laughs) No, you're not wrong at all. And in fact, when I first found her book at a secondhand bookstore in Melville way back in 2000, I think it was 2001 or was it late 2000? Mm -hmm. That was the shock for me because I read and I read a lot. And there was this book and I had never heard of her. And I just thought... There's something wrong with this picture. But because I'm not, I didn't study literature, I have always read for pleasure. I started thinking, oh, okay, maybe she's being studied by other people. So I started asking around, and the people who had studied literature didn't know about her. So as I have done more research over the years, part of the reason, I don't want to say the reason, part of the reason is that she wasn't in South Africa for a very, very long time. For six decades, she left South Africa as a teenage girl yeah, at age th- 13. 13 in 1933. Mm-hmm. Although she returned in 1951 when her mother had died, and again in 1955 when her brother had died, and again in 1976 and seventy-seven when she was doing research towards her book on her father, she wasn't a stable, so to speak, and when she finally returned to, in in 2002, she lived for six years. She went straight into an old age home, so she was no longer in the public space. If you know what I mean.
0: I hear you, and I'm hesitant to agree with you because I,
1: <laughs> be being
0: away, is not can't be the only reason.
1: It can't be the only reason. The other reason we know, as you were saying, using the Charles Dickens example, Mm. I didn't know as much about what people study when they study literature, which is why I wanted to talk to my friends who had studied literature. But it points to what people are talking about a lot, that the, the colonial way of doing things, even literature, is to focus on what is known in the world of the colonizers.
0: And maybe this is... I mean, we we literally are now getting distracted because... You know, you and I are discussing the fact that we we assumed that people who are studying literature, then this would be something that they would study, and it turns out it's not. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of asking myself, within those spaces, why is it that there isn't this push to study? Uh, one of the reasons I keep hearing is that accessibility to, to that kind of work is also difficult. So if it's out of print, it's very difficult to teach and so on. So I'm almost going to ask you again to say it's easy to to, to point at the fact that of course some of this literature was not palatable for the old regime but we're here now 25 years in I don't get why we're not making it our business to get this literature accessible to get this reprinted and so on
1: well that's why I made it my business to study her work mm-hmm. that's why I made it my business to travel and do the research because if you care enough then you need to do the work yeah. so that's how i have done it for myself instead of complaining instead of pointing fingers i have just done the work it has not been an easy journey Mm. when i wrote the very first essay in 2004 it was because i was in a creative writing master's class and we had just done a a lecture if you like on biography and the essay we were supposed to write was a day in the life of Mm -hmm. and i chose her it was after I had chosen her that I realized just how much is, how how missing she is, if you mm, like. Mm. And mean, that's when I started fundraising so I could travel to the countries she had been. That's when I started putting together the little that I knew that could be the, the starting If you like starting point for further research and that's what i've been working on for years so let's take it in context because you know someone
0: who's born in 1919 yes, one has to remember what was happening in the world at the time yeah right 1919 she's born very early on she moves to the uk for school purposes there are lots of context here there is a father who is very connected to Fort Hare, mm-hmm. That's significant. Mm-hmm. There is the war. That is significant. Mm-hmm. And, and there is the moving of her, removing her from this country to another country to study. That also has its own context. Mm-hmm. T- tell me for you, what was it about her? Because there are many writers who we didn't celebrate, who still don't celebrate. What is it about her that intrigued you about her story?
1: What intrigues me about her story is how I started using the word unboxable Mm. because I have been finding as I've been doing the research that when I'm in the countries where she lived, she's on the margins because she was a foreign national. Yep to use a current word. So that was a problem. When she became the first person who had not been born in the UK, was a woman, was... um, When she became the first editor of the New Strand magazine Mm. as a non-British, non-male, non-whatever, she made a lot of waves. Mm. So she's when I've interviewed... South African writers who were her contemporaries, I'm going to quote Wally Sirote because mm. he said to me, Kossi, I met Noni when I was living in Botswana, and she and Bessie Head were living in Botswana at that time. So Noni had spent a stint. She wasn't really living there, but yes. she had family to visit. Was it
0: three months or so? Something yeah. like that,
1: yeah. And Wally said to me, Kosi, we did not understand Noni. She lived way ahead of our times. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's very important because by that time when Wally Surote is meeting Noni, Noni had already been working for the BBC as far yes. back as 1942. So, what was happening within the BBC as a broadcaster, they had started the Women's Hour. Yes. Women had fought very, very hard yes. to start the Women's Hour, yeah. which started in 1946. So Noni is within this milieu of a lot of changes. If you read any literature about the impact of World War II on women and women's rights, women's ideas of who they are, Noni was a part of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so she becomes, according to Walisiroti, this person who was living way ahead of her times because of her exposure. She was part of those women who had gone to work for the world for, for World War II, and then all the changes that happened. In the society she's a part of that mm. so she for a lot of people and i think a lot of humanity is comfortable with boxes she's hard to put into any box i mean you, you, there is that that professional
0: space that where she occupies her space very emphatically and there's obviously her heritage her mother and her father who themselves were pioneers exactly. right? so so she comes from that but i'm trying to imagine what then her personal life, how her personal life influences where she she goes. So she, she I, I imagine that she married for love. I imagine that. But she yeah. then happens to marry a white man who she cannot now come and travel with in South Africa because there is a problem with white people marrying black people. It's illegal in this country. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering how her personal life okay. um, also contributed to so much that she gave to us because obviously she started writing about herself.
1: Yeah. But her personal life in terms of uh, marriage and connections, yeah. the daughter that he had, Tembi, who unfortunately died long before Noni returned home in 1997, mm. she had with a man who was from, as they were called then, the West Indies. Yes. Who had come to the UK as a pilot, a professional pilot, to fight on behalf of the empire. Right mm-hmm. so they met they fell in love they had Tembi and then he dies mm-hmm. before the, the before World War 2 ends mm. and then she meets a white person who is accredited for having brought to the UK Calypso music so they have their relationship for some time from the 40s until 1950 in the 1950 and then that ends in a divorce And then she marries another white man with whom she was together for quite some time, until the 60s. Now, starting with the first person that he married, they couldn't come to South Africa together. And if they did come, they needed to be, not to be seen together, not to share the same hotel and all those details that we know about. But also... The, the the person that she traveled with from South Africa in 1933, now this was very interesting to me, was a white woman called Margaret Clark. Margaret Clark had been coming to South Africa for a long time. She first came to work after she had finished her varsity studies, and she worked with a woman who was British and is very well known for having documented what the English were doing to the Afrikaners. Now, it's a story that doesn't come onto the surface a lot in this country because we are focused on the current times and apartheid. Mm. So she ends up, Margaret, ends up being very good friends with Jan Smuts, And we will remember Jan Smuts' reign and how because of his relationship to the UK, you know, some politicians were doubtful of his commitment to the Africana nationhood, but Noni Jebavu left South Africa from Smart's home under the care of Margaret Clark, Hmm. who comes from the family of the Clark Shoes people. Hmm. Now, I wear Clark Shoes. I don't know if you do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Clark Shoes person. I mean, fascinating. (laughs) But guess who she was married to? Yes. Arthur Gillette. Oh, my word. The razor people. Yes, I'll call it that, yes. The men shaving yes. thingy. And,
0: and, of course, the timing makes perfect sense because I think they were celebrating, what, 100 years or plus just the other day.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that's the family that were her foster parents when she was starting in York, up in the north, and she would come back to, Knox, to, to Oxford where her parents were. Her foster parents yes. were. So she... Becomes the last born because they already had three children, mm. so that's her lived experience. So in York, she and another woman who had come from Israel became the first people who were not like white white, so mm-hmm. to speak, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And when she writes about her friends, you know, Winston Churchill was in York and they were good friends <laughs> with the daughter. Winston Churchill's daughter was there and. You know, so she, she gets exposed very differently mm. to a lot of her contemporaries. I'm not saying her contemporaries were not traveling, but because you're asking different. me the question about yeah. her personal life, yeah. personal exposure, mm. personal circumstances, she got exposed in a very, very different way to mm-hmm. her contemporaries. And sometimes I think that's why they felt uncomfortable as Wally Sirota expressed it. For instance, when I was in Jamaica and I called Peter Abraham, yeah. who also happens to have been born in 1919, mm-hmm. I called him to ask for an interview. Because, one, he was a contemporary, two, he was a writer, two, uh, three, I had worked out that Noni must have been doing her BBC work mm-hmm. at the same time as Peter Abraham had done it. Mm-hmm. And Peter said to me, Ah, I don't think you should be coming over to interview me because I don't know much about her. Mm -hmm. She was too English for my liking. Oh,
0: my word. So do you think she understood herself as being privileged? I'm going to use that word. I mean, I know it's a difficult time to use the word privileged right now. Do you think she got that? She got the fact that she had a window into spaces that were not necessarily open to many?
1: got it but the point that I also think is very important is that, is that it was not because she travelled that she got it Yes, it was because when has started in 1916 her father is teaching there mm. Alexandra Carey is teaching there her mother is there working with um, I think she was a matron at the time
0: yes apparently her mother was one of the first nurses yes her mother was a, a matron yeah
1: no, no no she wasn't a nurse not. But she was a matron for the boarding school of the, of the um, female students. So who was the nurse in the family? Was it an aunt? It is Cecilia Makiwane, her mother's elder sister. Ah, got you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So three years after Forte had opened, she is born. Mm-hmm. She talks about how she was born into a small world in Alice where the whole of the world was represented. Mm. So can you imagine who was teaching? Ah. At Fort Hay. Mm-hmm. So she says, you know, the whole world was here because from the continent, people were coming to study. People were coming in for visits from the UK because DDT and Alexandra K. had had, you know, connections and mm-hmm. networks. Mm-hmm. So the kinds of people who were coming to teach at Fort Hay in those early years before she left, the first 13 years of her life, came from the world. So she was exposed to the people of the world in the small environment that was Alice of 1919 until 1933, before she left.
0: We're paying tribute to Nonu Jabavu, and you're more than welcome to take part in this conversation. We'll take it over just after the headlines as well. My guest is Makosa Zanataba, who is herself an anthologist, has written many, many wonderful books and written poetry as well, 0891-104-207. Let's do this first. It's 2.30. Let's go to the to Saku uh, for the latest in headlines call Pimelo Moutine now 28 minutes to 3 o'clock. My guest is Makosazana Taba. We are in conversation about a formidable woman, Nonu Jabavu, who is uh, somebody who was published uh, and in and celebrated in the world of literature in an amazing way. And uh, Makosazana was just, uh, we were obviously talking about the the rich life experience that she had and obviously lending it to, to the writing that she's given us. And uh, Kosi, I'm going to take some calls before we go on with our conversation. Doctor Vuyo <laughs> Masapi is uh, calling us from Joburg. Hello, Vuyo.
2: Hi. How are you?
0: We're good. Thanks very
2: much for calling. Oh my God! I am so 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 excited. <laughs> um, thanks to you and Umakota hmm. for for that. I I just think that it, it is really a privilege for us to listen to this. You know, as a young girl. I'm so grateful because sometimes you think because this happened in my pre-teens. Yes. Um, and I think it's around that seventy-six, seventy-seven time when she came back. Yes. She had uh, there was a talk uh-huh. um, by her at the Rhodes University at the time, and it was my uh, first and uh, first and last exposure uh, to Noni Jabavu. Uh-huh. And what an a shock to the system! I mean, because this woman was so brave. I didn't, you know, as a young girl, you don't remember what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Accompanying, you know, a, 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 somebody who worked at Rhodes University. Yes. And that was what what struck me, mm-hmm. you know, because those days the room was full of white mm-hmm. a, a, a lecturers and students at Rhodes University obviously they wear some flats. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what struck me with the her, she, she had no fear. You know, no fear of white people. And I think those days it, it, for a young girl was quite amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, she was free. That was the other thing that struck me. She was so free but, you know, she was a liberated woman that At a very preteen stage, I identified with her and wanted to be like her. But Mm -hmm. what was amazing when I got home and related this to my mother Mm -hmm. was, you know, I I just couldn't stop. uh, Because afterwards, she would have a cigarette. And, you know, she was free in every sense, Uh, if I were to demonstrate that. And my mother said, you know, you seem to like this woman so much, but try not to smoke like her. <laughs> 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 but, you know, it's it's, 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 a, it's an amazing story. And I'm so grateful that, I mean, I've read her book, but I think, you know, what you are doing is just so amazing.
0: Oh, thank you. Thanks, Dr. Malapi. Thank you. Do you want to comment
2: on that, Kosi? Uh, <laughs> Well,
1: uh, I'm curious. Did you really smoke like that? <laughs>
2: After what your mother Absolutely. said? You know, actually, no. interesting enough, I, I don't drink alcohol. But what I read <laughs> was smoke. And, uh, you know, and the way the cigarette was handled something to do with no need above. Oh,
0: what a lovely story.
1: That's a beautiful story. I mean, I'll talk to the producers and see if I can get some reflections from you outside of this interview because part of what was a bit challenging for me when I was tracking her um, movements in 1976-77 mm. is just hearing about people who were able to be w- in her space mm. or have conversations with her. So I'd really love to follow up on this and talk with you about I'm, it because she spent three months at Rhodes University while she was doing her research.
0: Did you, did you get to say hi or were you just mesmerized? Were you? I think we've lost for you, How but, did I mean, you for you. I think so. But what a gorgeous story. We'll try and get you that number so that you can get in touch with her. But this is somebody who, I mean, as you, as you say it, you have to put it in context. You know, why would she be afraid? She came from a different space, a different, you know, environment where she yeah. was celebrated, where she was encouraged. I mean, when you think about what the BBC did with Women's Hour, which still stands today, that, that environment have been, must have been so enriching
1: and so exactly. empowering. Exactly, but the point I was I was trying to emphasize before we went for the break was that she had lived as a child in a microcosm mm. of an international world, Correct. so to speak, because that's what Alice was like then. Yes, and because and remember that, that 1959 times later, when there's the law on universities and how. The, the 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 nationalist party was saying then this university shall only be for talk speaking black people mm. i mean we talk a lot about how Jomo kenyatta went to forte how mangosutubuterezi went to forte Correct. how mugabe, mugabe so yes. there was the whole continent and the world mm. who were coming in and out of forte because this was a big moment for the continent a university was being started and yeah. So, and she's a child, and she opens her eyes to that before she could leave. That's the point I wanted I, to make. I,
0: and I suppose when you reflect on it that way, one sees the absurdity of it all. So exactly. In, in, you know, in, in, in c- academic speak, you know, you speak and reference these apartheid laws and whatever. But when you juxtapose that too, how people were living before that. Exactly, Pinello. Then you hear someone like um, Vuyo calling who says. For me, this was a revelation because Vuyo came in an era where she had never experienced us living together. This absurdity of it all that there was a time yes. when there was no problem, you know. Exactly. So, you know, I think the power in what she had done in documenting this is also quite something. In In the struggle of this thing of us wanting to to box her to define her to say these are the boundaries i think that's exactly for me
1: why her writing was so significant and also she chose to write to two two memoirs right the one that came out in 1960 and the one that came out in 1963 both those books are not novels Yes. yes it was her saying i came here in 1955 i visited family i spent a lot of time i went to uganda where my sister was living and she was commenting on her experience mm-hmm. during this visit. Mm-hmm. So it's a window into her life, a memoir. And I think when we talk about literature in this country, and I'm talking as a person who's not a literary person, mm-hmm. there's there's more the view to talk about novels and poetry as literature. Yes. The memoir sort of sits in an uncomfortable other space. Yeah. And this is what I was learning when I was doing my first, when when I was starting to write biographical fragments on her, that there's been a lot of debate around how you speak about life writing as a genre because Ah. it's not a novel, but, you know, people are relying on memory. How much can you trust memory? It's not journalism because journalists do something else. So there's also this, this, this difficulty, if you like, of how, A memoir and a biography are genres that make Ah, it difficult to just draw lines.
0: And possibly then, Kosi, this is why we are finding it difficult to to celebrate in the way that she should have. So she doesn't belong in that category of Bessie Heads. She doesn't belong in the category of people who we could call novelists and so on. And and so putting her in, in somebody and celebrating her as somebody who wrote literature... Is tough because maybe of some of these reasons.
1: Exactly. That, that's been my other reason that, you know, when you look at how people talk about her contemporaries, mm. Ezekiel Mpashele, Peter mm. Abrahams, Busiswenyembezi, mm. they have a lot of novels to yep, their name. Yep, yep. So it's very easy to talk about the novelist, I you know. You. Yeah. We
0: are here now, people are listening, um, and I think, you know, people will dig and find her intriguing. What What is it about what she documented that
1: you found most surprising? Most surprising, most surprising, most surprising. I don't know if I would use surprising. I want to use enjoyable. Okay. <laughs> because I liked the way that she wrote, she probably... Okay, let me start again. Yes. I like the way that she wrote her English with isiXhosa, which was her yes. mother tongue. Yes. And some of the English was in isiXhosa, if you know what
2: I mean.
0: Well, you know, I found that surprising. I found that surprising because because a memory of a young child, I was intrigued by that because I I, I didn't know how she managed to keep that going when she was away. And hold on to that and not apologize for it, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you why I find it enjoyable. Mm. I often say to people, I speak Zunglish. Yes. (laughs) My mother tongue is is Zulu. I didn't have to speak English on a daily basis until I was 27 and I was out of the country. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that no matter how much I learn of the English Mm -hmm. and I play with it because I love languages generally... They will always be the essence of Isizulu in my English. So I like the fact that she was doing that as well.
0: That you dream in Isuzu and then <laughs> exactly. translate the dreams later. <laughs> it's been wonderful talking to you. Really appreciate us, um, you know, having this conversation. And thank you. Thank you for reminding us about this wonderful woman, this tower of literature. And mm. we're going to call it that, you know, literature. Um, people may not see it that way. But, yes, thank you for, for reminiscing with us on this wonderful journey. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Pimelo. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. my guest and she's a poet she is an anthologist she's written many many wonderful books and we were just looking at the life and times of noni jabavu and uh, what a tower she is if you have the opportunity look her up read up about her the internet now has got stuff available so try and see what you can land your hands on and thank you for all of you who've called in to add your little uh, anecdotes of your experience with noni jabavu